Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. And the double clap signifies the start of an episode. And before we begin, guys. Hey, everyone. This is Connor Holloway of the Golden Hours Podcast. And listen, if you by chance get any sort of value from this episode, whether you laugh, you cry, you learn something, or you're entertained, just share it with a friend. And if you don't have friends, you shouldn't be... Listening to podcasts. Definitely not. <laughs> I hope you guys have some friends. I, I have a couple myself. <laughs> and, and listen, who's in the building before I introduce our guests? I'm Sarah Slugs. Um, I'm so excited to be here today. I'm really excited for this episode. And as I was saying to you guys earlier, I'm very proud of Sarah for going out. I was like, listen, go line up an episode. Figure out something you guys want to talk about who you want to have up here, what's interesting you. And she, she reached out to you, set up the email, followed through. That's my dog right there. Good work. I'm so excited. <laughs> and so listen, we, I normally, when we have guests up, I don't normally do like extensive research, mm -hmm. but this seems like a kind of a complicated topic to us. So for us too. Yeah. So it, so it seemed kind of complicated. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try my best. So before you guys got here, I was just, smashing podcasts on the coronavirus <laughs> and i think i have a kind of a good concept of what's going on but you guys will probably debunk this and so on my right i have jessica davis and anna pistori of the mobs labs mm -hmm. right yep cool do you guys want to just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do sure so hi everybody i'm anna pastore pionti that's the whole last name uh, I'm an associate research scientist at the MOBS lab at Northeastern University. I'm originally from Argentina. I'm a physicist by training, but nowadays we, I do epidemiological modeling, basically. Cool. Um, I'm Jessica Davis. I'm a third year graduate student um, at Northeastern in the network science department. Um, I study how things spread. So sometimes that's information, but at this present time, it is viruses. And so your primary goal the past like three weeks has been, let's assess the coronavirus and see if it's a, a threat globally, right? Let's do some research and let's figure it out. Am I debunking that right? Yes, it's, a, it's sort of what- Am I just moving up a little? Oh, sure. There you go. Uh, it's sort of what we do basically every time there is an emergent disease or a, a new pathogen. We want to have a better understanding, see where it's gonna go next, if we can do anything to prevent the spreading, and uh, start like gathering data from, usually uh, it's just from the starting place, in this case is Wuhan, China, and when we just uh, manage to have some data, start to, to, to think how we can model this, or what we can do to have a better understanding of the situation, basically. And so how do you two work together? Like you work like closely, or do you guys analyze the same data? Yeah, so it's very much, so it's, we have a team here, so it's me and Anna, and then um, the head of our lab is Alex Vespignani, and then we have another lab mate, Matteo Canazzi. Um, and we all kind of, we have this model that kind of attempts to understand this of how, to understand how this virus is spreading and then from that we have this model data we have real data that's observed that all has to be processed and 
Yes, basically we the, the first part is the most difficult part that is setting up the, the pipeline of how we work, like who will do the simulations of the model, where we are going to do it, because they are very computational expensive. So who is doing that part, then like a first digestion of, of the data, then well, what now we, we produce the data, what is important and how we validate our models, so what kind of things we, we need to measure from our data to see if we are like getting it wrong or, com mm -hmm. or, or right, basically. If we can match things from the real world that we can observe, basically. And so how are you specifically gathering the data? Uh, right now, uh, we are lucky that uh, there are a lot of like publicly available sources. Basically, um, China itself is putting a lot of data out there about the number of cases at least that are happening in Wuhan and in other provinces in China. And, and then also you have to follow the news. So sometimes like, like the first two weeks, uh, the first two hours in the morning, my job was basically to to Watch look at the news and basically try to figure out, oh, there is a case here, there is a case there. Was this person coming from Wuhan? When, when it felt, when that person fell sick, when that person actually went to hospital, when when that person flew to somewhere, and things like that. So at the beginning, it's like a crowdsource kind of situation, basically. Well, yeah, I think one reason this virus is making people so nervous is because we're getting information from China and they haven't always, people think they haven't always been the most reliable source of information. So how do you guys vet the information now? Or, or is it just like, you know, this kind of sounds true, let's just like toss it in the model. Well, this time I, I think I think they have that idea because back in the 2003 Hong Kong SARS uh, outbreak basically, they were like, fir first they were like hiding the information about that. They weren't like saying that there was an outbreak when there was an outbreak happening. But this time they did it right away. So this time I don't think there is a reason to not trust them at all, I think. And they are the people basically fighting the war against the virus right now. I know, I just heard something that Wuhan right now is on total isolation, right? Mm -hmm. Like people there cannot leave. If mm -hmm. you own a public place, you have to wear a mask. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's been, they shut down like flights out of Wuhan on January 23rd, and then a couple of days later, they shut down kind of like the city in itself, like the driving. Uh, That's the roads wild. Yeah, it's so, the biggest quarantine that ever, ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people don't understand because when they think of China and big cities, they think of Beijing, but all the cities are massive in China. Wuhan is about the size of New York City, correct? It's like 30 million people, the metropolitan, the that total metropolitan insane. area. That's more than New York, right? Yeah. Well, metropolitan, so she means oh. all the, the yeah, like it's like surrounding neighborhoods. Yeah, I, I, ten, think, I think the city center is like ex almost maybe a little bit bigger than New York City. Yeah, it's that's like 10, insane. with 15 millions, like in the center of an area. But then like the whole catchment area that we are considering is 30 million people. So. There are countries that don't have that many people, basically. Well, I mean, it's bigger than Massachusetts. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> That's crazy. That's I mean, insane. like, imagine Boston times 50. That's what that would be, because Boston's 600,000. Oh, yes. my God. <laughs> so, so all these people right now, I mean, you guys aren't news correspondents, but it, they, presumably they can't leave, and then the Chinese government is, like, just keeping everyone in the same place, or? Um, I don't know. Okay. In that sense, it's, like, no more than what we can see from the news basically mm -hmm. all we know 
So I had, again, when I was researching and like trying to learn as much as I can, the SARS virus was coming up a lot. Can you guys speak to what the SARS virus was? Well, the SARS virus is from the same family as this virus. It's a rhinovirus, basically from the same kind of family, SARS, MERS. Can you just, yeah. you'll feel <laughs> Sorry. it one fist away. Um, uh, SARS and MERS are from the same family of as this virus, and they're all rhinovirus, basically affect your your upper respiratory tract, and you have the same symptoms as like in the flu. When you have the flu, you have, will have uh, you will sneeze, you will have runny nose, and in the worst case scenario, you develop like a pneumonia and all this kind of stuff. That those are the complicated things, but in general, it's not. Uh, I would say worse than the flu in terms of symptoms. Okay, so this is just like a massive flu. Like that kills people. Because, but the flu <laughs> kills people. The flu, the flu kills, kills people, people yeah, too. True. So. This year alone, we were looking up statistics in the car right over yeah. here. Uh, the flu has killed 10,000 people in the U.S. Um, that's already. Consistent. It's pretty consistent every year like that. I know that yeah. this year is especially severe. Yeah. Did you guys get your flu shots this year? Of course. You didn't get it? <laughs> yes. Lie. Oh. Yes. I don't want to say that on a <laughs> podcast where my boss could hear. I got mine at CBS. Yeah, Easy. me too. I got mine after my roommate got the flu, and I was like, ooh, I should have gotten that shot. <laughs> Did you feel sick after you got yours? No. Everyone's like, you get the flu shot, and you feel kind of sick after. It didn't. I think that's fake. Well, uh, you can have something do. else, but oh, not true. the flu. Well, I know, but what they say <laughs> is like, in a flu shot, they're giving you a little bit of the flu. Yeah, Yeah, they're either giving you like, the dead, the dead I'm virus. I'm not a biologist. So. I can't speak to this. <laughs> so... You guys initially find out about the coronavirus. What are you doing before you hear about the virus in the lab? What are you guys working on? Yeah, so uh, I think, like Anna mentioned earlier, we kind of were in the process of just making our model better, so integrating different types of data. So right now our model is very dependent on flight patterns and how people move around, and then there's a push to actually include uh, more detail on how people are talking. So like what age groups are talking to what age groups. So we know that not everyone, I don't interact with people who are, as many people who are in their upper 60s than I do people who are like in their mid 20s. Mm -hmm. And so- How old are you? 25. Okay, word, I'm 24. Nice. <laughs> Young and working hard. I'm 29. Yeah. <laughs> You're 26. <laughs> Great. Um, and so right now, uh, I think the push is like... Yeah, so basically what we are trying to do uh, is to improve the model and one of the projects that we were doing besides integrating, you know, uh, like more updated airline, airline uh, network data is uh, to improve the, the, the way that people interact with each other. So we are trying to introduce more data about the heterogeneity of the contact patterns. So like, and that accounts for like family, family size, uh, where you work, where you go to school, and things like that. Um, we know that even within U.S., you have very different patterns in Utah than in New York or D.C., social like the so social, social patterns. So basically, because when we are not working for something that is like an outbreak like this, we are always trying, one of the projects that we are always working is on the influenza. And 
So those are uh, uh, diseases that can transmit just for through contact with other person. You don't need like a vector or anything like that. Like Zika is a disease that needs a vector, for instance. That is the mosquito. Uh, so we need to characterize these patterns. And for instance, we have like this thing that we call them contact matrices that uh, describe these patterns. And we know that they are very different in China, for instance, that is a country with a one-child policy, so you don't have siblings mm -hmm. together spending time at home, but, but you have it here in U.S., so how the disease spreads, the same disease spreads, depends on these contact patterns, basically. So to simplify things, how, what is the difference between how diseases spread in China versus the U.S.? Is there a stark difference between the two? No, the the, the natu natural history of the disease is the same. What it changes is how people interact with each other, basically, so, and that affects the 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 uh, the final outcome of the outbreaks. Basically, is like how many people will get infected it has to do with how many uh, people a person is in average in contact with, basically. So, if you have more people in contact, maybe it could be. Uh, the, for instance, the overall attack rate could be higher. The, the attack rate, basically, of the disease is the number of people that gets infected by the end of the of the outbreak. Okay, so in a metropolis, it's likely that a disease will spread faster because people are more on top of each other. Correct. Given yeah, data, it could be. Yeah. But are and this is a total generalization. But are Americans more social? than the average Chinese person, therefore they have more contact with people in a day? I don't know if you can make that claim. No. I don't even know how you would verify that claim. It's all its all dependent on your social network, and I think networks are cool, considering <laughs> that's what I'm getting my degree in. Yeah. <laughs> so like the fact that we do have these people who are social hubs, meaning that they are in contact with a lot of other different people, um, Infecting them may cause a lot more like subsequent infections. And so these, I don't know, the social network within different regions is kind of hard to. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's a different thing. So basically There's no way to generalize it. Yeah. No. Okay. So, so I, we have a, a producer for our show. His name is Frankie Films, and he's actually from China. And he said that the way this disease initially spread was because it was right around the Chinese New Year a lot of people were traveling outside of the city. So it was centralized in Wuhan for a little bit, and then over time, it kind of just... Because it, it was at the same time that they were having this big vacation, traveling. this big holiday that is for the new year, I mm -hmm. think. So, so have you guys done specific research on that? Can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, no, specifically. Like, we haven't modeled specifically the, the like, uh, increase on people yeah, those I days. think it's something that people have definitely thought about. Mm -hmm. Like, will the China, will like the a lot of travel in this during this time, like actually help propagate this disease? And from our the data that we have, which the data that you want is not necessarily the data that you have. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we can actually make a claim that since there was a lot of travel, or since we think that there was a lot of travel during the. Uh, during this time that that actually mm -hmm. helped propagate it. But, yeah, this isn't a good answer to your question. No, it's, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. just trying to guys, once you can, slugs. 
When um, Boston got the, um, there's someone in Boston with the virus. What was your reaction? Were you guys like, ooh, that's uh oh? You guys freak out. No, well, we were all working on Saturday. Yeah, it was a nice Saturday, so you know, <laughs> we're all least. together in the office. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's Boston was on was pretty was ranked fairly high out of all U.S. cities for like our relative risk of seeing an imported case. So, and that's that's not. Uh, it was expected because we have Boston Logan here, and that's a pretty big airport. Yeah, and it's a yeah, flights. and yeah. it's a city with a lot of students, basically. Mm-hmm. So you know that people will come. Is the risk higher on a college campus for getting some like a virus, like the coronavirus? Uh, well, what we do is at the level of city first. So mm-hmm. it's like we can say if a city is at risk of observing a case or not. And um, the other thing we cannot, we can quantify from our experience, like in schools, because it's a closed setting and you're in, in contact with uh, many people during many hours, it's more likely than just staying at home with your roommate, mm-hmm. for instance. But, but we, don't, we don't do that. So on your list of cities at risk, Boston was relatively high. And what were other cities that were up there? I, th- I think, so it was, it was ranked higher if you just like kind of, if you look at the U.S. cities. Now, if you look globally, Boston didn't make it in the top 25. No. Um, the top 25 Yay. are your, like, definitely, <laughs> <laughs> I know, good for us. Um, yes, you have to um, consider that our model uh, takes into account like more than 3,000 locations basically so u.s uh, yeah. boston could be top 14 u.s but or top 10 u.s but yeah. most of the places at risk were like major cities or close were cities in in southeast asia and australia and europe more most of them yeah and if you think of like the like j- the bigger airports like jfk and lax they're going to be ranked a lot higher yeah. than boston Given land travel, what was the next most probable spot that you thought there might be an outbreak outside of Wuhan? Well, we rank Chinese cities. No, Chinese cities. But I don't remember the names. I know country-wise, like the top was Thailand, Mm -hmm. I think. It's like in our top five, it was Thailand, Japan, South Korea, Singapore. Singapore. And the U.S. might have been up there, too. Um, Is Wuhan in southern China? Mm, In the middle. Mostly in the middle of China, I would say. Towards the southeast, but inland, basically. It's not on the coast. Okay, so you realistically chose Thailand as the number one because land-wise it was the closest to Wuhan. Uh, it was a f- it's a factor of how many people are traveling there. Yeah. So it's a so oh you were asking about land travel. Mm-hmm. I think well we haven't like separated like land and flight. We have like the model combines basically uh, the two things and say people go from A to B. So places in Singapore or Thailand were like the top places not just because of the proximity mm-hmm. because when a virus it's a spreading like distance doesn't make any sense anymore in this world that is yeah. so connected. Does climate have an effect on it? Because I know that like Southeast Asia is very warm and damp 
I don't know, like a very um, wet region, I guess. So like, is I know some diseases like heat or could be like more resistant to heat or the cold. So would it make more sense for it to go to a hotter environment, or like can it survive in? Do we not? Do we know if it's if it could survive in different types of climates? I'm not entirely sure. I know mm. that the flu. That depends on a lot um, some climate factors like humidity and temperature and uh, precipitate. Yeah. I think people even sort of studied precipitation. The, the big problem, but like I think now with the coronavirus, that is is like at the same time that we have the the flu season in the northern hemisphere. So it's like all the things get yeah, mixed up. So one. you don't know if you have the flu or you have the yeah. coronavirus. The uh, symptoms are like yeah. nearly identical, correct? Yeah. So it's go, you're gonna feel you're gonna feel like you have the flu as well, if, even if you have coronavirus. Have you guys ever just been like thinking about coronavirus so much, like, oh my god, maybe I have it? <laughs> like, oh, no, I feel no. a little tickle in my throat. Because we know about statistics and probabilities, <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and and we know that the people it's more likely to get the flu than the coronavirus. But it's in this yeah. city, though. Yeah, but it's uh, in a person that is. Yeah, one case that is isolated. I don't. So I'm, given I'm the not fearing. I'm not buying masks. Okay, let's hope not. <laughs> Next podcast, I should put a mask. On. <laughs> <laughs> freaking me out. Um, no. But so, so, so given the statistics now, you guys don't think there's Boston is at risk for an outbreak in the city? At this moment, there is no reason to think that it's going to be like a big outbreak. And what, what would it take for the disease to spread more rapidly? I mean, it's an, it's an exponential figure, right? It's like two people get it, then four people get it, then eight people get it. Yeah. yeah. So what we've seen right now is that closing... So we talked about this earlier, like we've closed Wuhan, we quarantined Wuhan and some airline companies and some countries have put like travel restrictions such that people can't really go to and from China. Um, And so they do this in the hopes that hopefully this will prevent people who are sick from coming to a country and um, maybe infecting other people there. However, this isn't a sustainable practice, right? So if you can think about uh, American Airlines reducing flights from China for three months, like, they would go bankrupt. Yeah. So, um, like... It makes no sense to, like, basically stop all the flights and because we know from our models and all the experience that we have doing this is, like, we'll only delay the disease a little bit. So you buy a few days as uh, to prepare, but those are not, like, actually like measures that uh, that will actually stop the outbreak. So are there any actual viable practices to stop an outbreak? The, quarant- the quarantine, uh, the, um, the better like hygienic practices and things like, like being that. Clean. Being clean. Yeah, yeah wash, wash your hands. hands. Get your flu the same shot. as the flu. <laughs> Get your flu shot. Uh, cough on your elbows, sneeze on your elbows, and things like that. At what point when a when a disease like the coronavirus at what point are you like oh shit this is gonna destroy everybody like where what numbers are you hitting like what are you worried about for deaths Mm. because right now it's any deaths is about yeah for sure (laughs) but i mean you guys looking at stats all day when are you guys like okay this is a real worldwide problem Mm. Hmm. well Well. (laughs) i mean the 
you probably know this better than I do, but if you were to compare this to other like bad pandemics, like the 1918 pandemic, the death rate or fatality rate was uh, like three percent. Three percent. That's a lot of and people. And that's a lot. Um, but uh, um, we have to like make clear that it's not like, for instance, many people say, "Oh, this this percentage of people die of coronavirus. This has a case fatality rate of this value." And it's not just that you have to, you know, divide the number of deaths over the number of cases or something like that, because that's that's not correct. You have to count for all the underlying conditions that each infected person has. So many people have like co comorbidities and things mm -hmm. that make them more propensed to die. But um, yeah, so right now the fatality rate that if you we're do observing that math, is not yeah. nearly. High enough. As high yeah. as what? What is it right now? I think it's. I don't think we can actually mm -hmm. estimate it like, per se, just because we don't understand all of the like the people who are passing away. Most of them are people with pre-existing conditions. Yeah. Oh, um, that is so. not advertised on the news. Well, yeah, obviously. The news <laughs> wants you to. Yeah, they want out. you to freak yeah. out, I but know, I am you don't have out. to. Well, you gotta relax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no one should freak die? out. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> so, but disregarding fatalities, though, in terms of how many people are actually contracting the virus, mm. when well, it, when are you guys witnessing like, okay, this is a problem that it might spread at a much more rapid global rate? Well, our first uh, uh, assessment on this outbreak was just basically to estimate what could be the actual number of cases happening in Wuhan because the ones that you can count are actually just the tip of the iceberg. There might be much more than the ones that they can count because there are a lot of asymptomatic cases, so people that got the disease and didn't have any symptom, so they didn't go to the doctor or anything, so they will like ghost to us. Because, yeah, because you cannot, you cannot see them in the system, basically. Um, um, I forgot what I was going with. <laughs> what I'd ask was if you oh, at uh, what to point estimate the number of cases or estimate that this would be a, a global problem and that would spread very rapidly. Well, it's still just like the outbreak is like very localized in some sense. It's not widespread in another country, so still it could be. Yeah, I think it's like still can be stopped in China. Yeah, as of right now, there's just one country with what the WHO would call sustained human-to-human -human transmission, which is China. And so this outbreak hasn't been classified as a pandemic, which is a much scarier word yeah. um, yet, because you need at least two countries. So right now it's relatively contained, but we'll see, it's, things are happening so fast, right? Like you see the numbers change. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. What's the lifespan of a, a virus like this normally? Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just thinking, Jessica, when we were in, like, eighth or ninth grade, remember when the swine flu was popping? Yeah, was I got it. Oh, I God. Had you both had it? Uh, yeah. Oh, I was you guys down get a drink a after week. this. You guys survived. <laughs> Let's go. You're survivors. You got yeah. the swine flu? Yeah. Oh, what was, is that why you do this now? No. No? <laughs> uh, no, I remember it being awful, though. I don't think, I haven't gotten the flu since. Um, 
you built up the antibodies. <laughs> good. Yeah, my parents quarantined me in my room, and like my dad works at an auto body shop, so he brought home like masks. And every time they had to give me food, they would all have their masks on, like throw it in my room. <laughs> with dash. We're out. <laughs> my parents still interacted with me, so I guess I'm like. <laughs> well, I mean, it was just for like a, a little week bit extreme, but it was the right thing to do. It was like right when it came out, and they're like, this "Our could daughter's be, a monster." Like, this could be. The, I got it at like a sleepover camp, and they're like, "Oh my god, we sent her away, and now like she has this horrible disease. Like we don't know what to do." And it was really scary. But I mean, I was just sick and slept for like a week, but. I don't know. Did you I've have similar symptoms? Yeah, I think I was, I was so bad. It was. It I think was I almost like passed fun. out a couple of times. Ooh. But I remember explicitly the schools being empty, and so like half of my classmates were sick. With in the, my country, I remember that from the end of June because in the southern hemisphere, the uh, the peak of the wave was before here, so here was like a little bit later in during the year. Uh, we we finished school like in June, so for us we have to go, you know, until July, and then it was like two months of like winter vacation that we have mm-hmm. basically. So <laughs> yeah, when the swine flu was popping, how long did it last? Do you guys remember? In in terms of how long we have we sh- we could expect to see the outbreak, that's what you see, like you're asking basically. How when, long it will take it, to go away the virus? Like when is it not? Oof. Well, that's it's. Uh, depends on the situation in China, right? If they can, if they can stop it from spreading uh, elsewhere, maybe in a few months, right? Yeah, I would say, uh, like the, sw- the swine flu lasted for a few months to a year, right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of the span of the outbreak, or the initial outbreak. But this one, I would expect the same. But it could just, we could just get really good at like isolating exactly. people. Exactly. So and it, everything it. depends on what's going on in China now. Yeah. Basically. And that's kind of what happened with SARS. It just kind of, they got all the people who were sick isolated and they quarantined them and eventually it just died out before it reaching a kind of gigantic, scary exactly. portion. How so. do you assess that on a data level that the disease is now, or the virus is now not as large of a risk globally? You see less cases popping up, or yeah. So, Basically. like you said earlier, you see like this. Right now, we're in the exponential growth part, right? So we should expect to see some peak, and then after that, it should go down. It's a and parabola, so, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, if you have <laughs> seen <laughs> something like that, yeah. <laughs> um, if you're familiar with any incidence curve or something like that that they call it on the the CDC website for the influenza. You will, you will have this parabola. So at the beginning, when nothing is done to stop the outbreak, it will be growing on uh, an exponential rate. But then now they're already trying to mitigate the outbreak. So the shape will change. So it won't be like a nice parabola, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and then, yes, you reach a peak, and then it goes it goes down, basically. What so if it just keeps going? Uh, no, gone. no, because... There's yeah, a finite exactly. number of people in the world. So yeah, so we'll eventually, eventually go we'll go. You <laughs> will eventually have just everyone will be gone. Exactly. Eventually, <laughs> you apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. But it won't happen with the coronavirus. Well, have yeah. you guys ever seen I Am Legend? Yeah. Yeah. Something similar. Do you remember the, the plot line for I Am Legend? Yeah, I think it's a virus too, right? Like they he, ha- they at the very end, cur- they said that it cured cancer, then everyone got it, and it created a. It negated actually cancer, and everyone got this vicious virus. And then everyone became zombies or something. Mm-hmm. Exactly, mm-hmm. except Will Smith 
and he yeah. saved the day. Yeah, <laughs> we need more Will Smiths. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's great. <laughs> well, you guys will probably be the survivors if it reaches the U.S. and spreads, and you guys will be the ones to save the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have regular immune systems. So. Okay. <laughs> probably lower than average because we, <laughs> we don't sleep too, anymore. Yeah, we don't sleep too many. We we lack of sun. <laughs> so. Is, is someone pressuring you guys right now to produce certain data to help them out and help find a solution? Is there like a government Well, it's not that you with? find a solution, but yeah, like we have, uh, like there are like the WHO and the CDC have different working groups that are usually like right now that we sometimes work on something else like influenza and they have this, this group of modelers that we call it and Everybody, like there are a lot of groups are, uh, across U.S. basically doing something and across the world too. So yes, they ask for your input, like what, or they say, what, what kind of data do you need from us? Can we provide something? But yeah, this, there is always um, a group of models working on it because uh, there is a, we have been, uh, part of the CDC challenge that they do every year to forecast the influenza season. And there are other kind of challenges like that. That is like a lot of different teams uh, compete somehow uh, every year to forecast the, the, the outbreak of the outbreak of the, okay. the influenza mm-hmm. season, not, not the outbreak and things like that. So yeah, they rely on us too when something like this. They are the coordinators basically. Okay. What, this is just uh, outside of all your research, what type of fulfillment do you guys get from your work? Like, wh- what kind of what? Like fulfillment. What, how, what makes you like fulfilled with your work? Oh, that. I mean, because you guys must, if you're staying up, like do working 20 hour days and <laughs> thinking about disease all day, you guys must love it. <laughs> If you don't, I mean, you're just crazy. This is my first epidemic, yeah. so I really don't <laughs> have any. <laughs> You've been through a couple. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, so I was talking about this with people earlier in that, like, it's really cool to be able to work on this. However, it's an extra level of stress because oh, yeah. what I do no longer just affects me or, like, if I say something dumb, like, or you have a, a silly dumb. bag in your coat yeah. and instead of saying there are going to be 10 cases, it says 1,000 cases and you pass that number to an agency mm-hmm. and saying, we will have 1,000 cases of this. And it was like, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> I divide by the wrong number. Yeah. And now I have, you know, it's a lot of Your stress in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then seeing like in return that, you know, things are used, uh, useful for the people that can take decisions. It's, I think it's the most important part of our work. You feel the same way, Jessica? Yeah, I mean, but it's, it's I, I hopefully it's good work and hopefully it's useful and it's, I've, I, I feel weird saying this, but I'm privileged to be in this position to be able to like learn from like you and like everyone else in our group who've done this before. Um, and it's like the first epidemic outbreak of the decade so this decade started off crazy, huh? <laughs> There's a lot going yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> so can you just um, elaborate on the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic? Yeah, so a pandemic, as defined by the WHO, is, and why we're not using the word pandemic to describe the coronavirus, is that you need, um, in order for something to be a pandemic, 
there needs to be sustained human-to-human -human transmission, meaning that the virus can be passed by some type of like particles or something between people um, in two countries. And right now, we only have one. Okay. Um, and so we have an epidemic right so We have now. an epidemic, but not a pandemic. Pan. That's the Latin root yeah. for all. We have world. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Yep. And epi is just epi's, over it. Yeah, centered. Yeah. I got it. I'm not much of an academic, but I'm learning. What qualifies something to be just an epidemic then? Like, I could get the cold, but is that an epidemic? It has to be a new immersion disease. Okay. It's got to be spreading fast. No, it has to be new. Yeah, and it has to yeah. spread quick too, right? Yeah, well. Or else it's just like, dude, you have a cut on your leg. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, HIV, like, HIV spreads relatively slowly. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's not spreading as quickly as like the coronavirus. But it's still is. a pandemic. But it's still an epidemic. So, but it's an epidemic. But or a pandemic. Well, no, it's a pandemic. It's all <laughs> worldwide, right? It's, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so, what are you guys now expecting, given your research, to happen with the virus? I think it's still like in the next week or two is gonna be make it or break it. I think it's still too early to say whether this will become widespread. Because, China, like we said, China's doing a great job, like, quarantining cities. And um, I think I read that they they build a hospital, like, over a week. And now I think it's these. a second hospital. Oh, they built two now. Yeah. yeah. Just for coronavirus patients. Um, so they're doing a great job trying to contain this. And, like, it could, they could, it could still work. This could just stop. Mm -hmm. um, but I think but it's still too early to tell. Yeah. So, like, worst case scenario, given your research, it could pretty easily spread to other Asian countries at a rapid rate. Like, that it, is a possibility. But That would suck. That would suck. Yeah. But, I mean, most of the cases, like, we've seen are relatively are mild to an extent. They're not dire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unless you have pre-existing conditions. Um, yeah, see, that's so. interesting that you guys say that because... Again, like traditional media, will, they'll distort the facts and they'll be like, well, like 300 people have died. But I mean, if an old person catches the flu, they don't they die. have the strength. And again, it's like three, 500 deaths, I think, now mm -hmm. in China and, and two other countries, I think. No but deaths in the U.S., right? I know there's no, like 12 cases but in the U.S. 10,000 deaths of flu yeah. every yeah. year mm -hmm. here. So, And when you think about it. And more people die in car accidents. That's yeah, true. Again, China has like 20, 20 to 30 million people in Wuhan. And so you only see like 30,000 reported cases. So out of 20%. millions of people, like it's the incidence is still relatively low. Yeah. And you guys are calm. But I mean, anytime there's a everyone's like, there's a rapid spraying disease. There's just like mass hysteria. Like, this is the end. <laughs> yeah. It's not the end. It, it's if not you guys the think end. The, the world would end in one way, do you think it would be disease? No, climate change. Climate change? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know either. Climate change is a good answer. That is a good answer. I could, I could see a pandemic killing us all. Not this one. Not this one. Not this one. <laughs> not this one. Yeah, like, but a bad one. Like a worse one. Alien invasion? And missiles. Mm. Missiles. Missiles will kill us all if people We're stop. Kill yeah. <laughs> if, if people don't get vaccinated. 
Why are this isn't supposed to be? A, this is going the different direction. We shouldn't oh, go yeah, that well, way. You gotta listen to the podcast after this. This happens a lot. Um, why do? And this is probably gonna sound like a vicious generalization again, but why does it seem like all these terrible diseases are come from China? Like I know the eight that the bird flu, right? The swine flu. Well, these diseases are coming from. So at least what's expected from this one is that it was kind of, it started off as a disease that would only affect, I think, bats, bats or like animals. Mm -hmm. And um, some mammals in general, like yeah. I think MERS, that is from the same family, it affects camels. Uh, SARS was ca uh, coming from a bats. civet cat. I don't know. Okay. I don't a Siberian know. tiger? No, 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 no. It's, it's something like a Sibet cat. It's like Sibet some. It's, I think it's something that. I think it's a Sibet cat, but I have no idea what it's that is. I don't think it's a cat. What is a Sibet cat? <laughs> I don't know. People should be Googling this. <laughs> I'm going to research that after. <laughs> okay, so. Yeah, so saying. it jumps from yeah, the from animal species. community to humans. And so since humans don't have this natural immunity to like some of the diseases. It makes them very susceptible. Yeah, and these things are happening like more often than you think that yeah. like you get like the flu from a bird or something because, for instance, the flu is like mutating all the time. That's why you have to get your vaccine every single year for the flu. And sometimes those viruses are not good at transmitting themselves to another person. So that, that person that got the flu from, I don't know, from some animal then won't transmit it and the, the virus ends there, right? Because the virus, what it wants, like we know from the movies, they want to keep going, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so. What program do you guys use in the lab? Do you use SPSS? No. Nope. That's a statistical software, right? Okay. I don't know. I'm I used it. I'm trying my hardest, okay. No, so basically if, if you want <laughs> like the details, I think uh, our, uh, like the, core of the program is written in Julia. Julia, oh, okay. Okay, and okay, most yeah. of our analysis is done with Python. That's, I believe, so our podcast has an Alexa skill. I believe they use the Julia to code mm. the podcast Alexa skill. But again, I'm not the stats guy. At what point, this is also irrelevant to the virus, at what point did you guys realize, like, I would love to learn the data behind spreading infections and how information spreads was there an epiphany in your life where you guys like this would be really cool to do mm. i think for me it was more like a step-by-step -step situation i i studied physics then i did my phd in complex networks and complex system and network science so that's it's like a mix of the things that we actually do and then when you study things spreading sometimes it's a virus sometimes it's information so the system underlying and the mechanism are very similar. So so it's just like in the progression of your yeah. career. Yeah. You kind of learned what you like. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Uh, I guess as an undergrad, I studied math and communications. And so they seem like two very different majors, but I really liked to, I like the intersection of like using math and using computer science or, um, physics to kind of st study like well, I don't, pulling them together kind of yeah and that's what network science does in a way like you can represent a lot of different complex systems with the network so studying like 
you have think about Facebook, where you have a social network where you have friends that are friends that are linked to other people. And so the structure of that is actually really interesting and you can get a lot of you can understand a lot about like kind of the global structure of this network just from like looking at it. So you guys are always the smartest in your classes. No. Don't lie to me. <laughs> no. Are you serious? Yeah. Me and slugs aren't big students, so. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys are learning. Absolutely. I'm learning a lot right now. This is great. Experiential <laughs> learning. That's what we're doing. Learning through doing. Yeah, we should just yeah. go to China and <laughs> catch it. And then you guys can test me. <laughs> That's not I our job. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> not so, a doctor. Are there any professionals at Northeastern that are actually studying the, the biological aspect of the disease right now? that you guys work closely with? Not that we not work with. That. I know that, uh, so our, not at Northeastern, but we also are working with groups in Italy um, and uh, that's the only country I can think of right now, and China. And so I think China. there are groups in China that <laughs> actually studying the biological aspects yeah. of that. I am not familiar, very familiar with their work, but. Okay, so let's say the coronavirus is like totally debunked, right? The whole wave. It's not popular anymore. It's over. Okay. <laughs> then what are you guys doing next? Go back to, back to the, the normal flu. job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you must be so sick of reading about the flu. <laughs> I have a question about the flu um, vaccine in general. So, like, when, since you said it, you have to get a vaccine every year, is the vaccine just a prediction of what the flu is going to be, or do they just take, like, they're like, oh, this person has the flu first, we're going to take the proteins or flu or whatever. Uh, how do you make, how do I they? I think uh, how they do it is basically there's a group of people that basically uh, analyze the test of, like, the different strains that are happening in the, like, in the southern hemisphere or the northern hemisphere, and then they say, okay, this, this strain of the flu is circulating more here, or this one is more there, and basically they pick uh, a combo of things, and they put them in, in the vaccine, basically. So they guess. So basically, they guess. So it is like a prediction. It's a, it's like, oh, maybe this year, yeah. this is what it will yeah, be. Yeah, and some years they uh, get it right. And some an years educated they get it guess. <laughs> but you still need to get it <laughs> because ten thousand people die every year of flu. Ten thousand Americans, right? Ten thousand yes. Americans. That's wow. crazy. I didn't realize it was that high. And is that is that data also disregarding old people who might already be sick, or is that including it? Think. I think it's included website, everybody. I think it includes it. Okay. Everything. What are the most reliable websites and sources that you guys use to gather data? Is there like one central network of stuff you guys usually grab from? You would think. Yeah. You would hope. Yeah. But no. But no. <laughs> um, I think if you're a normal person trying to learn about like the coronavirus and what you can do to protect yourself, it's just go to the CDC website or the mm -hmm. WHO website to understand, the, I guess, the national and global um, effects. When for me, getting data and getting like updated news on who else is studying the virus, I go to Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, like everyone else, sorry. Yeah, yeah, and because what's really cool is that there the community of, of scientists that are studying this disease are like doing their own research in their own lab, but then they're posting it for the most part, like publicly available, not, you don't have to go through any like paywalls like normal journals mm -hmm. do. And 
um, in order to put their results out there. Because for our models, we need to understand like estimates of the virus, like how long, like the incubation period or how long you're infectious for. And so we're glad that other people do that work. So, so there are trusted resources on Twitter that you're like, okay, I, kinda, I trust yeah. what this guy put, is putting out there. If they're like a professor at another university or yeah. they run their own lab, yeah. Is there, um, you had mentioned a little bit earlier how there are other there are other people that do what you do in the U.S. In Boston specifically, given that it's such a medical-based community, are there other people doing what you guys do? Yeah, so there's actually another professor at Northeastern who is Sam Scarpino, um, who is working with Harvard Medical School and um, some other international locations I can't remember that are doing the disease parameter estimate uh, research and taking as much data that they can and from all the different cases in China and kind of combining it and doing like a large scale analysis on it. So before we end the episode one, I, I know I told you guys like 10 times to wear long sleeves. I'm sorry if you're totally freezing. <laughs> it gets so cold back here. I would keep the heat on, but what happens is the fan, it picks it up on the mic so the <laughs> audio is not as clear. But so what are your predictions and your scientific predictions, your data back predictions about where the coronavirus is going. Famous last words, like. <laughs> You're asking us where we think the coronavirus is gonna hit next? Yeah. Yes, and what, how much more will it grow on a global level? Mm. I think it's too we'll early <laughs> to, to, to say that. Because right now, I think we are not projecting, uh, our, our model projections don't go far after like end of February because a lot of things can happen in this month. So uh, if, if we predict that are gonna be, uh, I'm just drawing numbers here, like m millions of cases by March, because it's just exponential growth, it's like, it's not gonna be the case because there are gonna be, uh, interventions and all these numbers that have to be uh, updated every week probably so we will have to do all over again what we have done so far in 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 a week basically so that's uh, at least that was my experience when i was working with ebola or all these other outbreaks before it's like you do this but then you have so your numbers and then, you know, you have people that, you know, they close the city so nobody can leave and, you know, you don't see as many cases as you were predicting. So you have to readjust your model and it changes as you are, yeah, as, as, as you are getting more data, you get like a better feeling of what is going on. But I, I think at this point it's like we have to be says. cautious. Yeah. What do you think, Jessica? I'm gonna say the same thing. Yeah. I think like in the next couple of weeks, we gotta see what happens. I mean, like this this thing could die out in China, or it could not. We'd be so. like really screwed if we found out someone in like Greenland had it, right? Finland has it. If someone in Finland has it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we just start seeing <laughs> random pop-ups in like different parts of the world. Well, the oh. thing is like, like <laughs> if you think about it, there are like almost 30 countries that observe countries already. But the thing is, like, it's always someone that traveled from Wuhan or was in contact with someone from Wuhan. So still, like, are easy to track. But if they find out, like, a, like a lion has it in Madagascar, it's game over. 
A lion and yeah, Madagascar. Just like, just like lion. Random, just like random. Well, oh. Madagascar has bigger problems than sure. coronavirus. <laughs> like they have the plague still, so. Yeah, question. Do, do you guys use data? What's like the farthest back you guys will use data from? Like, the, do you have like data on the, the polio and diseases like that? Um, no, we, we usually, what we model, it's human-to-human transmission diseases. Uh, polio is mm, not... I don't know enough. No, it's through the contaminated water, basically, and feces and things like that. So it's like not like just being in contact with someone that has polio, you will get polio, you know, that kind of stuff. Has your research on Ebola helped your research with this case? Yeah, well, I, like I know more or less how... How how intensive it's gonna be <laughs> in the lab? How is like you're gonna work like twenty four seven, and you will have to change your model a million times because the, you are getting More first. Yeah, yeah, you are starting with like some sort of crappy data and then things you know you start like gathering more information and then you have better estimate for the parameters of the model so you like you have to run everything like many many times until you you get mm-hmm. like a meaningful result basically yeah. what is your day-to-day like right now like how realistically how many hours are you sleeping right now definitely more than our boss yeah, <laughs> we we do like seven hours maybe. Yeah, and then se- like like seventeen and hours in the lab. Yeah, okay, yeah. Let's say one hour on the T. Yeah, <laughs> commuting and then. That's yeah. how you get to work at nine. Hopefully, we leave by nine. Yeah, and on a good day. On a good day. So, what are your what are you doing in the lab? Are you just like watching the news, getting data? What what are you like doing hour by hour in the lab? So I guess, like, most recently, we've been working on, like, a report. So we've been doing all this research with, like, our model and analyzing the effect of the travel ban in Wuhan. Is it actually effective or not? And so then from that, like, you have to figure out a way, okay, well, how am I going to tell the other researchers in the world about this? Like, what is the best way? And so we've been writing a report, making lots of very... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> figures, <Intensive> figures. <laughs> and um, yeah and also what we uh, because it, we can we can run any model we can put any parameters and we will get the number then the most difficult part for us is always trying to validate our model because if if nothing that you say is can be corroborated with something that you didn't use on the calibration of your model it's like as good as nothing so uh, for for us, it's also a very important part now. Trying to find, you know, see what other people are finding. Like we say, if we say the outbreak started around December, uh, and our models say that actually started in July, then you're wrong. So we need to, you know, find things that make uh, like help us to corroborate, like like the assumptions of our model, basically. Are you guys having fun? Yeah. Yeah, we're all tired. That's we're accurate. All tired. But it's it's interesting. I am hesitant to use the word fun <laughs> because Fast people pace. are sick. Yes. Yes. Whatever you did last night, it was going oh, to be different tomorrow. And you thought that you have everything ready to submit 
like mid-afternoon and then you realize that, oh, maybe if we add this. Yeah. And then you have to start all over again. So we did, uh, Jessica at some point say that she was feeling good about this version of the work. And that was like version eight of whatever we were running. And I say, well, I won't feel confident until we are on version 30 or 40. <laughs> That's more or less. We're on more 37 fun. right now. Yeah, so. we are, now we're on 37. I saw, I was on like the website with a bunch of your data and I'm like, whoa, they have like reports coming <laughs> well, up yeah. every single day. Yeah, those, and those ones were very crazy. I, I was the one updating those reports <laughs> and I was like finishing and trying to put everything on the website and someone say, there is a new case somewhere else. So I have to redo the analysis analysis rewrite the paper and resubmit oh. so it's like a at some point i say okay i'm gonna wait until midnight when the news outlets are sleeping or something it's crazy too because it's on the other side of the world so it's like literally 24 7 you have news coming from the united states during one half of the day and news yeah. from china the other half it's one. yeah you guys your heads must be exploding that's crazy this is uh irrelevant to the research but has there been an economic impact on with the disease in Wuhan? Like, I would imagine. I'm not like I haven't seen anything, but my guess is well, be. like you are shutting down transportation. I, I think there so. are some econ- like Chinese markets were like. Well, I was gonna say, yeah. yeah. What about Chinese international? I I don't know much about that honestly, but. Yeah, I mean, I guess they were if affected. You're, they were saying if you're shutting down, if you're quarantining a city, then people can't get out, supplies can't get out, supplies are probably going in. Like, I don't think they'd complete. Hopefully, well, the medical <laughs> companies are probably killing it. Yeah, whoever owns the masks and makes those make a million. <laughs> Should invest in some stocks. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. No, it's too late now. <laughs> Foreign markets. <laughs> um, okay, well, hey, did you guys have fun? Yeah, yeah. I had a blast. I learned a lot. Thank you. Slugs, any last questions? No, I'm good. (laughs) Slugs, you killed it. Way to go. Thanks. Nice, then. Hi, I'm Anna. Hi, I'm Jessica. And this This was our Golden Hour.